que estén. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to a special episode of the podcast series, The Way Out Is In. I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fabhu. And Brother Fabhu, this is, uh, just to put some context around uh, this episode, so um, I did a number of recordings with Ty when I was at The Guardian, and unfortunately, my the IT department wiped my computer before backing it up, so I, I thought I had lost them all. But it turns out that um, there was one that has re-emerged, which is the last interview I did with Ty, um, which was in um, what was called his toadskin hut down in the small uh, hamlet of Shonha, which is very close to Upper Hamlet. And... At the time, it was very, very difficult to listen to it. And the reason is because we had a very sensitive mic and we put the mic on the table in front of, um, in front of Ty. But just before we started, Ty got up because he'd made us tea and he went up to get us some biscuits and he put the biscuits down next to the microphone. Um, and there was a fly in the room and the fly kept on coming to the biscuits and flying off and coming, kept on coming back and back. And it didn't seem to be making much sense. So it was fine. But then afterwards, basically throughout the recording, it's of the fly coming back and forth. And, and actually just to, just to hear at that time, cause this was um, 10 years ago. So this was on the 30th anniversary of Plum Village. It was very, very difficult to even transcribe it. But now thanks to technology and particular thanks to our podfather producer clay who has um works for global optimism does all the outrage and optimism uh, podcasts and also um produces all hours so clay thank you to your wizardry um we have been able to clean up this recording and are able to bring it uh, to you our listeners because it's the first time it was a couple of weeks ago, the first time I had actually heard it um, for 10 years and, and in a way that I could understand it all. And for me personally, it feels like a very precious recording. It's, um, Ty was very relaxed. He actually, what I love about it, he just, he chuckles the whole way through. It's not often you hear Ty, you know, Ty sometimes will laugh, but actually throughout it, you'll hear him laughing and chuckling. Um, and also because, um, we cover so many interesting topics. Um, talk about the environment, climate change, civilizational collapse. But also, I was a bit cheeky, Fapu, because I also asked Ty about how his practice was. I said, "We always ask other. You always ask other people how their practice is, but but what is your practice like? And and <laughs> and where are you focusing your practice? And and he gives this beautiful answer about the fact that." This is never complete. He said, love has no frontier. And also, again, in a cheeky way, he was uh, 86, I think, at that time. And so I asked him about his own passing and about how he felt about... Um, I said, I remember, I said, Ty, you look in the peak of health, but you're not going to last that long. Uh, you know, what's going to... What's, how are you feeling about that? So, so we cover a range of topics. And also, 
The interview includes the voices of a couple of now elder monastics, um, Faplin and uh, Faplai, who at the time were uh, were sort of much younger in the practice. Uh, Faplin, who's now very clear and erudite in his teachings, sounds beautifully hesitant in the way he responds because Tai gives them a question to answer. So it's quite nice to hear Faplin from 10 years ago, seeing how he answered it. And we start off with um, uh, a conversation actually that about um, where Tai uses the symbolism of the Batna um, monastery in Vietnam. So um, maybe Fapu, um, you know, you can maybe just uh, help us to sort of just give a bit of context, but also about Toadskin Hut um, when Tai used it and just uh, a little bit of maybe context would be lovely. Yes, so let's speak first about Toad Skin Hut. So in Plum Village, we have three hamlets, Upper Hamlet, Lower Hamlet, and New Hamlet. And Tai has a hermitage that is very close to New Hamlet. And during the three months rains retreat in Plum Village, Tai would always stay with the brother for the whole duration of the 90 days um, retreat. And every morning... Um, to practice his exercise and to keep himself fit, he would do a big circle hike around the hamlet and he would hike down the pine forest that leads to the Shengha residence, which means um, the temple at the foot of the hill. And Tai has a hut there and he calls it the Toad Skin Hut, um, which resembles... Outside is kind of like rocky, like the toad skin. and It may look a little bit ugly, but inside it's very warm and cozy. So every morning during the rains retreat, he would go on this um, hike, on this walk down to his hut there where he would make a fire and write calligraphy as well as spend some time with his monastic students. Um, so, and this is where that recording was made. And Prajna Monastery was a monastery that was established after Thai's first trip to Vietnam in 2005. And we were present um, with monastics from Plum Village and new monastic coming in when young people were coming to ordain. So within the span of um, three years, we had, um, I think, almost 400 young Vietnamese people ordained. Um, but because of conditions, um, Prajna had to be closed. And it was quite a moment for our Plum Village community globally, but especially for our brothers and sisters in Prajna Monastery in Vietnam at that time. Um, but from the mud grew the lotuses, which is um, we were able to establish Plum Village International um, Center in Thailand, as well as all of our brothers and sisters there, we were able to bring to some to Plum Village in France, some to the U.S. centers, um, some to Germany, and later on establishing a center in Hong Kong, as well as centers in Australia. Um, so you will hear a little bit about that um, during the interview um, with Joe Kinfino and our teacher, Tai. 
Thank, thank you, Fapu. And just, just finally, just it, exactly as you described, it was very cozy inside. It was the fire was going, burning, and Ty was sitting in a comfy chair, and it was it was very it was literally very very cozy, and we actually felt very guilty at the end of it, Fapu, because we were there for nearly two hours, and um, and as a result. Ty missed his lunch because actually everyone in Upper Hamlet was waiting for Ty to come up for his lunch and, and had to sort of got, got very delayed and then they had to start without him. And, and we were worried we'd, we'd taken too long because Ty's health was not perfect. So I remember Faplin, Fapli, my wife Paz and I leaving thinking that was amazing. But oh God, we hope we haven't sort of um, harmed Ty. And, but as we left, we looked through the window and Ty had got up very quietly and gone to his desk where he did the, was doing the calligraphy. And as we passed, we saw him drawing the, a Zen circle with his calligraphy pen. And, and it was just such a precious moment to see that Ty had been very present for nearly two hours interviewing and being, and then had just got up so gently and then drew this perfect Zen circle. And I thought, wow, Zen master at work. So, dear listeners, um, we hope you enjoy this precious recording of Ty, relaxed, insightful, open, and um, being Ty at his very best. <laughs> I'm eager to ask you questions. <laughs> you can see. <laughs> Is it okay to start asking? Yeah. Um, did you see the sheet of paper I wrote? Have you seen that or in yeah, advance? That, that? Yes, I, I wrote some yeah, questions yeah, in yeah, advance. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the Fablin and the Fablin will help me to answer. Great. <laughs> Please go ahead. So I, I, when I was here last year, I read your book on the Batna Monastery, the Koan. Mm. And I read it again this time about how each official did not act and why not. Mm. And I've been looking again at issues like climate change mm. and the fact that the last year there's been very bad weather, extreme weather, <clears throat> lots of problems, and yet still nobody is acting. And so the first question I wanted to ask was, in a sense, that koan of why nobody acted to stop the harassment of Batna is what you think is the reason why no one is still acting on climate change and the destruction of the environment. <laughs> no one is acting on that, but uh, they are not acting on many other things. <laughs> They have many. They have many problems. The relationship with themselves, the relationship with the other person, their family. There are many problems, but they they don't act. <laughs> so it's easy to see how they don't want to act on the environment. Even the suffering, they don't don't act in order to handle the suffering. So if we expect them to do something for the environment, it might be too 
too much because the most um, necessary things for them to do, they still don't do it. Like uh, understanding themselves, taking care of the suffering. They are afraid of uh, thinking about their own suffering, their own problems. Why should they have the courage to think about the suffering of the earth, (laughs) of the environment? They try to not to think about it, like a camel or who doesn't want to realize uh, that there's a lion in front. <laughs> so they just look into the sand in order to see only the sand. So that is the attitude of men. We are afraid. We don't want to see the truth. And if they saw the truth, what impact would it have on them? When they see the truth, it's too late to act. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's true. It will be too late. And uh, people like yourself, you like to mm-hmm. wake them up. Oh, what they want, they don't want to wake up. Because uh, waking up maybe make you suffer. <laughs> so you continue to want to continue to dream in order not to suffer. They cannot uh, confront. They they are not strong enough to confront the truth. It's not that they don't know what is going on. Uh, they don't want to think about it. They want to to get busy in order to forget. It's not because they like to do it so much in order for them to be busy. But they need to be busy in order not to think about their real situation. We've had um, this year. We had the sort of see the hurricane Sandy in New York, and, mm. and even that hasn't had a big impact. So do. You, do you think we'll need a real disaster to wake people up, or do you think that will make people hide even more? When, what do you think might change the balance? If you if you show if you show them the truth, if you bring them a film or something like that, evidence to convince them that the situation is like that, they might not like to. You, they might have some time to look at what you want to, to show them. And so. But after that, they go back. Because they don't want to, to think about that. And that is the situation. Not, be, not because they are not intelligent enough to know what is happening, but they don't want. That is the situation. I think maybe... There are the approaches like um, to show them something else, not reality, not that kind of reality, but another kind of reality. Show them a person who is happy, 
only uh, reluctantly and who, who is happy. And that person does not need a lot of money, uh, power or anything. And try to make them experience a little bit of that kind of happiness. And if they can taste the happiness of uh, relaxation and peace, and then they may have, they will, maybe they will change. they will see that it's not worth to continue this path of money and power. And when they have tasted a little bit of peace and love and relaxation, they may wake up and abandon everything in order to, to follow. So if they are still themselves, whatever you tell, tell them, they will change. They will not change. And if you try to change them, yeah, and then that may be the only thing to help. So bring them to a place uh, where there is happiness. Bring them to meet a person who is truly happy. And that is their chance. Because they think that there's no other way than the way they are going. And that is, uh, that is the purpose of education. You are the minister of education. <laughs> you have to show people like that. When you bring awakening. If you are a minister of the environment, and if, even if you prescribe, prescribe the right path to save, they still don't, don't listen. Even if you try to make a law <laughs> to forbid things, they will try to go around and do, do it other ways. So maybe, maybe trying to show them something else. You can be happy. You can be relaxed. You can heal yourself. And we need people who know how to do it in order to to show them. Your new book is about, well, I know you said it's not your brand new book, but it's not not even in your bookshop up in in Hamlet. So it's it's new in terms of um, being out in the world. It's about fear. And um, there was a recent study into the financial markets of London and why they weren't changing and thinking of the environment. And all the answers that really came up were about fear, fear of losing status, fear of being um, ridiculed, fear of uh, rocking the boat, fear of destroying their career. That Because the, the dominant position is about don't change. The vested interests are saying it's fine as it is. So... How, how, what is the, how important is the role of fear in preventing people from acting? And how do we get around fear? You know, the shooting that uh, took place in a new town a few days ago, that is because of fear. 
Thì phải vô bài gần Because you are fearful You are don't feel safe So American law allow you to buy a gun to put in the house. And then you can you you think that the, the only the gun can guarantee your safety. And because uh, of that kind of mentality. Fear, fear can 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 go together, always go together with anger. Fear of what? You 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 are afraid that they will kill you before you can kill them. And to think that they are ready to kill you make very really angry at them, even if they don't want to kill you. That is the case of terrorism. Yeah. So fear and, and anger go together. So if that young man killed his mother and the children because of these two energies, fear and anger, that went together. And in that kind of anger, they don't discriminate anymore who is friend, who is uh, enemies, and they just, they are blind, and they just kill. And not, not uh, people like him, not only people like him acted like that. But the national policy about about um, security, about foreign policy, about terrorism is based on that kind of uh, fear and anger. The policy about um, terrorism, national defense, also based on that. So it's not the problem of some people. It is a collective problem of us all. And within, for though you also talk about fearlessness, about the courage to stand up, what, what do you think it takes for people who see, again, for the, from the environment, who see there's a problem, who recognize they want to change, they, 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 they realize they need to change, but they're scared of speaking out. What, 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 what helps people to sort of find that courage to stand up even, even at the risk to themselves? You have uh, the courage to do it because you have uh, compassion, enough compassion. Without compassion, you cannot do it, because compassion is very powerful energy. With compassion, you can die for, for other people, like a mother who can die for her child. 
and compassion is possible when you understand the suffering. And then uh, you also have uh, insight because compassion is born from insight. First of all, insight about suffering and also insight about happiness. You have the courage to do it, to say it, because not, you are not afraid of losing anything. You are not afraid of losing fame, situation, because you know that that is not the foundation of your happiness. The, north, the foundation of your happiness is understanding and love. So if you you have that insight, and if you live by that kind of insight, you are not fearful anymore. But if you still have a fear of losing, losing your status, your position, your house, and so on, you will not have the courage to do it. And uh, if you have experienced some happiness, <laughs> some happiness, like love, understanding. If you know that happiness uh, is not these uh, outer out, out, uh, conditions, you know that uh, happiness comes from our mental uh, insight. Mm. You know how to be happy. Mm. You know how to recognize the real conditions of happiness that you have. Then you are not fearful anymore. You don't. You don't need to, to be afraid. Mm. Suppose we talk about from Plum Village. If they come to Plum Village and mm, uh, and 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 and, and uh, shut down Plum Village like they have shut down. Uh, it's, if you have some insight, you say that, well, if you cannot do it in Plum and then you can do it elsewhere. Because anywhere you can breathe, anywhere you can walk, anywhere you can gather friends to practice sitting and walking. And without, with or without Plum you can continue to do like that. The, 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 the proof is that without but yeah, our 400 monks and nuns, they continue, you see, and they even continue stronger. So you can release, and with that, you are free. And you can do other things that, uh, that, that, uh, that other people who, who care so much about the huh, outer conditions of happiness cannot do. And that is not uh, talking alone or listening alone that help. We have to learn how to live like that without fear. We have to, to be strong enough. We have to got the power of love. The, cow, the, the power of giving up all these things.
and the power of understanding, three kinds of powers that are not uh, money or, or, or status or things like that. The power to love, the power to give up, to cut off from these sorts of uh, afflictions, the power to understand. Understand the suffering and the suffering of the other person. Cultivating two powers. By the way, uh, we have to um, to talk to the people, to write in such a way they can touch their heart. They can show them that happiness, true happiness, is possible. Because uh, we should not talk in terms of that what is that this is what we should do, that is not we should not do for the sake of the future. Uh, we should uh, talk to them in such a way that touch their heart, that help them to see the path, so that they can, in their turn, let go, and engage on a path that can bring them true happiness the part of love, understanding, and the courage to, <laughs> to release if needed. Like the Buddha, he had so many things, but that did not make him happy. So he left everything and became a wandering uh, monk. And if you try to persuade him to go back, to use these facilities to change the society, he would not say. Uh, I he knows that he can change society better being a monk without no, uh, no, no political power, no arm. So there's a story about the Buddha sitting in meditation and Mara came and said, Siddhartha, you just visited your homeland, your homeland. You see what a mess it is. You are a talented person. You can go back as a as politician and help people. <laughs> and the Buddha said, Mara, I know you. <laughs> to be a politician, that's not my what I like. I like to be a monk. I can do better as a monk. So Mara was disappointed and he disappeared. That's the practice of uh, simple recognition. <laughs> because that is a temptation. With some power, you can do something to help your people. And the Buddha. Uh, uh, had uh, at that time uh, did have the insight in order to uh, to respond to that temptation very quickly. He just smiled to Mara. <laughs> I know you are Mara. <laughs> I'm not I'm not be fooled by you. So the temptation of power. And they say that uh, it's not um, that makes you happy, but that is a way so that you can serve the world. 
political power. <laughs> so how do you think the best way is of getting that message out? So if it's not from the political sphere, it sounds like it's going to come from a grassroots movement, sort of a, a movement of the people. And what's the best way of giving that message out there, which is the message you have? What's the best way of communicating to people so that it really creates change in a, in a, amongst a lot of people rather than just a few? Suppose you write a book on the art of consumption. <laughs> because people spend money and buy a lot of things every day. And, and you know that uh, it's not because they buy a lot, they consume a lot, that they're happy. So you write a book, maybe you speak in a, in a kind of language that <laughs> they can help people to uh, wake up, to see that what they buy cannot make them happy. And the title of the book, Mm. You can call it, look, look at yourself in the refrigerator. Look at yourself. In the refrigerator. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that is the fifth uh, mindfulness training. Of the, five, five training. the fifth of the five trainings. Mm. Also in the 14, you have, uh, you have a precepts on mindful. So that is about four kind of nutrients. And um, many people consume in order to to cover up their suffering, and that does not help because during the night <laughs> these kind of things come up and they suffer hell. So tell them how to how to consume and what to consume, so that they they get the healing. They, They have a little bit more of peace, of love. Like uh, when we do uh, walking meditation, we consume. Mm. Mm. In the light of, uh, in the in the in the context of. Uh, of uh, modern civilization, uh, to walk like that is a waste of time. <laughs> you don't do anything, you don't talk, you don't think, you just uh, walk like that is a waste of time. Maybe time is money. So you consume time. But for us, this is good consumption because we allow our body to relax our mind to relax, to rest. And every step we touch the wonders of life, rest, refreshing and healing elements of life, the air, the green, and sun. So that is good consumption. And after half an hour of walking like that, you feel refreshed, restored. That is consumption. That does not need a lot of money does not need any money at all. But people don't consume. We are not against consumption. <laughs> you see? So tell them how to walk from 
the parking lot to the place where they work. Work in such a way that every step can restore their peace, their joy, their love for life. Teach them how to stop their thinking. <laughs> and is it also important, I to can uh, a lot of people I speak to in the world of business yeah. and, and in this area say yeah. there's a disconnection between people's lives and the impacts of their lives. So you buy something and you don't know where it comes from, you don't know who produced mm. it, mm. you don't know the conditions of those people. Mm. But do you think there's a problem with the fact that people live their lives but they're so disconnected, they're so isolated from mm. from the world around them mm. and, and whatever, they're, whatever they do they don't mm. see the impact? Mm. So in that book, uh, The Art of uh, Consumption, you tell them how to eat. The art of eating. <laughs> because instead of uh, thinking and talking a lot, uh, you stop talking, you stop thinking, and you you, you try to, to eat to, to properly. Uh, you look at the food. You get in touch with a piece of carrot, and you get in touch with the soil, the water, the rain, the sunshine. You get in touch with your mother earth, and eating in such a way that you feel you feel in touch with true life, your your roots. And that is meditation. And meditation here is very present. And you have a habit of eating. And you should be shown another way of eating. So that you, you, you can see how, how, how the piece of carrot has come to you. I see. So that's the five contemplations. In the beginning of our meal, we, we read it, but during our meal, we contemplate on, on it, not just in the beginning. Well, like stop, stopping the, the thinking, and we chew every morsel of our, our food in that way. We get in touch, and we become grateful. And when you are grateful, you are happy. <laughs> yeah, when you are grateful, you are happy. As far as you are grateful, you are you can still be happy. And uh, that is not only true with um, with the food, but but with everything. Like you, when you when you sit with another person, the person in front of you, whether a friend or a partner, you have to see the background of that person, where that person has come from. This morning, when Thay touched the earth, he did not touch the earth as one individual. He saw a line, lineage of ancestors, blood ancestors, and 
spiritual ancestors. He see himself as a Sangha, powerful Sangha, and uh, he touched the earth as a huge community, not as a, an individual. He does not see itself. He sees a whole lineage. And when uh, he touched the earth uh, before the Buddha, he saw the Buddha isn't, is not itself. The Buddha is uh, the continuation of a long lineage. So he sees the roots of the Buddha the origin of the Buddha in many generations. So in that in that in, in that moment of touching the earth, you you got uh, the insight of uh, no self. The person sitting in front of you, she is an ambassador. She represents a whole lineage. And if you look at her in that way, you see that uh, she is not there as uh, an individual. She is there as an ambassador of the whole lineage. She represents her lineage, her country, her people. And you have to see that. Because when an ambassador comes and presents his credential, the president has to look at him not as a and in you. That is a whole country uh, represented by him. So he's looking at the ambassador with that kind of eyes. He's not an individual I am dealing with. He is an ambassador. So you have to see your partner, your friend, as an ambassador of the whole lineage. And then you bow to him and say, Good morning, Mr. Ambassador. <laughs> and with that, you can deal with her with respect, with admiration, because uh, the talents, the virtues of money, generations are in her. And when you talk to her, you talk to all generations in her. You don't talk to her as a self. Uh, you talk to her with respect, because there is a Buddha in her also. So, so that's the way you look at a person, or maybe a pine tree, a pine tree is, is made of uh, <laughs> many generations and there is the moon, the star, you know, so you bow to the pine tree. And that is a kind of civilization, a way of life. In, in, and if you learn how to live that kind of life, and you don't need anybody to, to remind you to, to take care of the environment. <laughs> you can do it by yourself. And that is the insight you get when you practice uh, no self. So, we, we live that kind of experience. We live our daily life like that. And everything we say, Everything we write down will be able to touch the heart of people because you write from your own inside and not from ideas you get from another person. So writing that book, <laughs> so that is a, that is a practice. 
the art of consuming. And then the, the one who produces for us to consume, and, the, and we who go and buy <laughs> the products, well, we, <laughs> we should learn the art of consuming like Um, Shambhalasa, have you seen the article in the Shambhalasa? Recently? Yeah. A recent one? Yeah. Oh, no, I the most recent one. Uh, Andre Miller came a few weeks and stayed in New Hamlet. And she went back and wrote an article on how the people in Plumridge practice the five mindfulness trainings. Not how they teach the five Mm-hmm. on how they practice the five mindfulness And they talk about the way we eat, what we eat, the way uh, we uh, sit with each other and things like that, the way we consume and so on. It's a good article because, it, because uh, it's not uh, about the teaching. It is uh, the, about how people practice, how people live. A few hundred people living together, uh, and express uh, the the way of uh, of living the inside. So, so she also uh, wrote about uh, a wedding that took place in the new hamlet during her stay, and talk about true love, mm. the purpose of true love, and so. So that is a good article because it. It's, it's not talking, just mm-hmm. describing as how people uh, uh, cultivate happiness and and love by living together in that way. As you talk about um, the internet, uh, <laughs> consuming uh, mindfulness in the computer, uh, not having a individual. Uh, email address, uh, because none of the monks, um, monks here have. Uh, <coughs> she learned. And it's a good, uh, good article. I think people love to, to read this. Um, but, um, but her readers are mostly Buddhist. When you write for the Guardian, you have to, to write differently <laughs> because uh, there are non-Buddhists who are reading, so there must be a way of turning them on so that they can reflect. Well, I think I'll, I'll write two pieces. I'll write one piece about <laughs> and one piece about my experience. Yeah, here. yeah, right, right, right. I'm just wondering, on the, um, I was listening to the 14 mindfulness training mm. this morning, and there were in three of them, it talks about action, about, you know, I think when you talk about applied Buddhism, so it says don't invest or purchase from companies that deplete natural resources, harm the um, earth, and deprive others of their chance to live. And then in two of the others, it says speak out against injustice. And then another one, um, a clear stand against oppression and injustice. Mm. So last year, I asked you about activists, what should they do? And you said quite rightly, the first thing they need to do is find their own happiness. But in terms of action in the world, in terms of how you, you know, in terms of applying that to activity Mm. in the world, 
how should people work in terms of speaking against injustice, against oppression? What, what, what do you mean by what, in the mindfulness training? What, what, what would you ask people to do? How, how can they do that in a way that is peaceful and that it, they're resolved in themselves? You know that um, <clears throat> the monastics uh, they have uh, a three-month uh, retreat every year, and uh, they like to have a monastic day every week. <clears throat> And the Dhamma talks uh, and uh, sharing during the monastic days are quite different. <clears throat> because we are aware that uh, if we, we cannot be ourselves, if uh, we don't have enough uh, brotherhood, sisterhood and happiness, what we do will not have a, a meaning. Uh, very aware. So we organize our our monastic days and retreats in such a way that we can get the nourishment um, enough to sustain us as a community uh, so that we can offer retreats and days of mindfulness everywhere. This is a very clear and uh, we feel that it very, very much. We should be ourselves. We do not, should not lose ourselves in too much work. In, uh, Otherwise, we, we are not authentic, we are not true uh, in our daily uh, service. Uh, the problem is not to do uh, a lot of things, but to do things uh, coming for <laughs> rightly. <clears throat> and uh, we should not we shall not have the feeling that we do not have, we do not do enough to help. We should uh, be sure that what we are doing is is well done, is right. And uh, with that we can be peaceful, because uh, whatever we do will profit everyone. Even if, uh, if uh, just sitting do sitting meditation or walking meditation. Because uh, if you do walking meditation right, then you get, you get the nourishment and healing every, in every step. And not only your ancestors in your profit, but in the future generation will profit. Without that, you cannot do anything. So, so every step is the basic uh, practice. Every breath, uh, every sitting, should be true, should be nourishing and healing. So, so even if you if you you do little, like uh, organizing a day of mindfulness only, uh, but if you do it with all your heart and with happiness, well, you are doing everything at the same time. So, <clears throat> so whatever you do for yourself. Uh, rightly, you are doing for all of us. And this is uh, how I see things. You don't have any complex that you are not doing enough. Yeah, this is very important. I think uh, to contribute uh, to uh, to the collective uh, awakening, <laughs> we have to operate as a, as a community, as a sangha.
or even a journalist should have their own sangha where they can share the suffering and difficulties, where they can communicate and share their, their happiness, their hope, their success. It's very important. I think psychotherapists also, uh, teachers also, they should have their own Sangha. And it, our experience here is very clear. Without the Sangha, you cannot do anything. Uh, even if you are very talented as a teacher, as a journalist, and so it's very clear in Plum Grace that without the Sangha, we cannot do anything meaningful. So taking refuge in Sangha is a very basic thing. So that businessman, he has not changed. He continues to produce in such a way that can intoxicate people. Uh, he doesn't help himself, he does not help his consumers. We want to change him. But how can we change? There are many ways. Mm-hmm. One of the ways is to go to him and say that you can be happier. <laughs> you can be more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You, you can live a life that is not hectic like this. Uh, uh, you have more joy, relaxation. You are not uh, overwhelmed by your worries, your anger, and so on. And you help him. Mm-hmm. That is one way. That way is to tell our friends to consume according to the five mindfulness trainings. Why do we have to buy these things? We will tell them that they should not continue to produce these things. We don't need them. We need other kind of uh, products that help us uh, uh, to be healthier. To be, uh, and then the, if uh, there is awakening in the ranks of uh, consumers, and then the producer will have to change. Otherwise, uh, yeah, he cannot continue. So he force him. We force him to change by not buy, uh, buying. We don't need. Thai can survive very well without uh, these uh, electronic devices, and he survives better without them. <laughs> he has more time <laughs> for himself and for his sangha by not using too much these. Uh, electronic devices. So why? Huh? Uh, you can survive very well without television, even without a telephone, and without reading newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, don't, we don't need to watch uh, the news uh, every day, or twice a day. Yeah. Now if the newspaper bring us good food, and then we will, we will buy. Otherwise, we don't need. <laughs> we don't need even the garden. <laughs> yeah. So, so there are many ways. I think uh, we operate as a sangha, and we work with the uh, with the grassroots people, and we can change from there. We don't have to persuade the people on the top to change. If uh, if that work uh, is not easy, 
I think uh, Gandhi uh, was it capable of uh, urging his people to boycott a number of things, huh? and he 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 knew how to take care of himself. He knew that during the non-violent um, operation, he should take care of himself. He told his uh, partner that we should practice. We should refrain from sexual uh, practice during this time. We have to 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 practice uh, breathing and preserving ourselves because it is a hard struggle. He knew about these things, how to preserve the energy uh, because the struggle is long. So spiritual practice is uh, very much needed in an attempt to help society, change society. You know that the spiritual dimension in the life of an activist is a very, very important. <coughs> so uh, we should arrange so that uh, no, so that uh, there will be more peace and relaxation and healing in our daily life. We should have uh, companions on our path. We should have sanghas. I think the idea of having journalists together as a community and get the collective insight and way to work is very important. As we do like here in Pembrage, we need brother monks, <laughs> system nuns, uh, in order to do things together. We need to support each other. It's very clear in Plumridge that if we are, do not stay together as a community, we cannot, we cannot do anything. We cannot uh, serve in the, in the root meaning of, of, of the world. So if you have... I, there were couple of questions I just wanted to ask you about mm. your practice and if you still if that's still okay can we talk for a few minutes <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one was you know this is a the 70th year of yourself as a monk and the 30th year of Plum Village and I wanted to ask you first what what is it that Thai has um, feels he's achieved so you've been you've been among seventy years. You 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 now you've gone through all your experiences of life. You've now created the sangha. Well, how would you how would you describe what you feel you've achieved over that seventy years? It's not much that we have achieved, except some. Uh, some uh, some peace, some contentment inside, which is already a lot. Uh, we should not think of the human in terms of the work we do, because there are, there are more of means than the end. I think every time we sit as a, a community, we feel happy, because we are a community now. <laughs> and the community is uh, everywhere. 
we are, we are very uh, present in Vietnam. Even physically, uh, we cannot express ourselves uh, publicly, but we are very present in Vietnam, in China, in many places. Now, the practice, the spirit. Now we have, um, we have uh, opened up uh, a path of practice that can, uh, that can, uh, that can um, help uh, many young people. The young people they suffer a lot nowadays, and they need. Uh, a path. So when 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 I was uh, a young monk, I think um, I did not know exactly what I will do when I grow up as a monk. It's very it's quite vague because uh, the situation is changing, mm. political, social, and things like that. So. You cannot predict, you cannot see what you will do. Uh, it's not like the young monks and nuns now, they know, they know what they will do uh, <laughs> when, they, uh, when they are out, when they got the lamb's transmission and so on. Huh? But they did not see like that, did not know exactly what he would do. Uh, but there was a belief, there is a confidence that uh, if you practice well, then you'll be able to help your people, your country. And that is, um, that is a kind of belief that gets to you because of uh, when you read the history of your country. That in the past, during the uh, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th century, uh, uh, thanks to the teaching and, uh, of Buddhism, uh, your country have uh, got uh, Hundreds of years of of, uh, of peace and uh, brotherhood, and so on. So, uh, if Buddhism can serve um, in the past, there is no reason why it cannot help uh, uh, in the in the present moment, in the future. That's the only the only only thing we had during the time of war and things like that. So, engage Buddhism and. Uh, social service and things like that were born from that kind of belief. You can renew Buddhism and help. And one dream that was very uh, very dear to Thay is that uh, when I grow up, I will set up a Sangha. A Sangha of uh, monks and nuns that live together as a family that, that, uh, that can show brotherhood and sisterhood. And that dream has been realized. That we have them in Bhaknya, Prasnya, in Deer Park, in everywhere we operate together as a Sangha. That is the, the achievement, not um, material and things like that. So the happiest moments when, when we sit down and we feel the presence of our brothers and sisters, uh, lay and monastic who are practicing walking meditation, sitting meditation, building brother system. That is the achievement, the main achievement. Uh, 
and other things like uh, publishing a books and things like that, they are not <laughs> setting up uh, uh, institutions like uh, like in Germany and things like that. They are not important. Important is that we have a son. And um, the insight came that the Buddha of our time may not be an individual. It might be a Sangha. If there is a love and harmony in the Sangha, that is our new Buddha. And each person can be a cell in the body of the Buddha, the new Buddha. And that is possible. If every day you practice um, walking meditation and sitting meditation and generate uh, some energy of mindfulness and concentration and, and, and peace, you are a real self in the body of the Buddha, of the new Buddha. You are lay, a lay practitioner. You are a monastic practitioner. You, can, you are a real self in a Buddha's body. And this is not a dream. This is possible today and tomorrow. So that gives you a lot of happiness. The Buddha is not something very far away. It is in the here and the now. Because you, you, you are capable of producing mindfulness and insight and compassion. And uh, you will not die <laughs> because you will continue. It's like a wave does not die. She continues in other waves. It's like an iceberg. Uh, you can see only uh, the tip of the iceberg, uh, iceberg. but uh, if you look deeply, you see the huge mountain of ice uh, beneath the water. So um, birth and death should be... Uh, so it's very clear that uh, they will not die. He continued in uh, Pavlin, in <laughs> other people, and uh, the huge uh, mountain of ice <laughs> beneath so there's nothing lost. And um, we are happy because we are able to help the Buddha to renew his teaching. Uh, he's um, deeply misunderstood by many people. <laughs> so we try to, to make the teaching available and uh, uh, simple uh, enough so that people, all people can and make good use of that teaching and practice. And do you, when, you, when you look ahead, because obviously one day you, you will continue, but you will also die in the, in the, in the sort of physical sense. And do you, do you feel that Sangha is strong enough to flourish without you? Because you were telling the story of the Buddha the other day. And the Buddha, when he, before he died, he went round to all the Sangha you know, to all the, and said, you know, the, go back to the island of yourself. You know, that's where your strength... I mean, you know, because you, you look in fantastic health. You look, you look, you know, you look great, but, you know, one day you won't be. <laughs> I'm just wondering how, you know, where you feel the Sangha is and what you think will happen in the future. Well, uh, you know, we always go up and down. And the Sangha may go up and down also. But... Uh, but uh, the Sangha can continue to grow, even if the ups and downs. You know that there were times when the Muslim mm, mm, 
kill Buddhist monks and uh, destroy temples. And uh, the monks have to bring some scriptures and flee from India to go to Nepal and other places. To a moment like that, difficult. Mm. But uh, Buddhism was able to survive many, many episodes like that. So, uh, not it's not true that I I will die on day because I have died already many times, and you die every moment, and you are reborn in every moment. So that is the way we train ourselves. It's like uh, the tea. You see, when you pour the hot water in the tea. And then you drink it for the first time, and you pour again uh, some hot water, and you drink. And after that, the tea leaves, although they are there, they are in the pot, but they have gone into the tea. And if you say that they die, it's not correct because they they continue to be to live on <laughs> in the tea. So this body is just a residue. Uh, it it it. It still can uh, can 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 provide uh, uh, some tea flavor, but one day there will be no tea flavor left, <laughs> and that is not death. That's not death. And even uh, the the what is in the pot, there is no tea flavor, but you can put uh, under uh, in a flower pot and then continue to serve. So we have to, to look at birth and death like that. So when I see uh, young monastics and young lay people practicing, I see that uh, that is continuation of the Buddha, my continuation. You know that the people in Vietnam, although they are not practitioners, but many of them practice like that. You know that they... Um, they, some people, they, they order a kind of coffin, a coffin. They, they like to have a coffin made of wood, uh, wood. And they even place the coffin in the house. And they go in and go out and touch. They say that there will be a time when they will, uh, they will put their body in there uh, and carry uh, to the cemetery and... Uh, so they are not afraid of dying. They prepare like that, and then they sit on the on, on uh, threshold of the house and and they watch their, their children playing in the sunshine. And they see themselves in the children as their continuation. They did not practice meditation, and they can see the. Their continuation, their no birth and no death. That is a very usual scene. When the children grow up healthy, they see them in the children. And not only uh, something put in coffin. <laughs> and the other day, uh, on, uh, on the, on the uh, Continuation day, they sent a message to the, to the temple. And they said that, well, uh, 
you should not build a, a stupa for Thay. Uh, because Thay don't want, or Thay is continue out here. <laughs> uh, one person has already built a temple for Thay in Hanoi. Uh, so I recommend that uh, they make the inscription outside uh, uh, on the front. I am not in here. <laughs> 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 and then if people don't understand, uh, you add a second sentence. I'm not out there either. <laughs> <laughs> and if uh, still they don't understand, add the third and the last. Uh, I may be if uh, uh, I may be found, maybe in your way of breathing or walking, I'm not in here. <laughs> so, so that uh, the 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 root temple has uh, received that message. <laughs> I said, I don't, don't waste the land of the temple in order to build me a stupa. <laughs> don't put me in a small pot and put it in. There. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to continue like that. It's better to put the ash outside <laughs> to grow, to help the, the trees to grow, things like that. That is meditation. So I think uh, one, one day of practice can bring you happiness, the happiness of one day. And you can, and and the success of uh, the practice will never harm you. But if you are a businessman, a politician, you might be victim of your success. But the success of practice never harm you. It can only nourish you and nourish your children and uh, and friends. And. Uh, Taking, uh, take, take, take a walk <laughs> and nourish yourself. Never harm anyone. <laughs> just two more quick questions. One is, um, or slow questions. One is, um, how are you? What are you still? How are you still deepening your practice? Because everyone in the sangha looks up to you as this as that you, you've reached this wonderful level of realization or of calmness, of, of the ability to, someone said, you never put a step wrong. So or, or how do you see, you You know, do you feel you're, you've reached the end in terms of your own knowledge or do you feel there's endless amount to still learn and develop? Yeah, yeah, that is true. Because in Buddhism we speak of love as something limitless. The four... Uh, the four, uh, the four elements of love, which is um, loving kindness, uh, compassion, um, joy, and equanimity, they have no frontier. Love without uh, frontiers. So that is true with uh, your practice, your achievement. Uh, I think the Buddha is thinking like that. Uh, uh, even if they call him the perfect one. But uh, that is uh, out of love, they call that. But we can never be perfect. Uh, but we don't need to be perfect. That's the good thing to know. You don't need to be perfect. And if you make a, a little bit progress every day, 
little bit more peace and joy. That's good enough. Yeah. So they practice. They continue to practice, and his insight grow deeper every day. It's like the teaching of "I have arrived, I'm home." It was of many destinies ago, but it's still deepening. Like the other day, they gave that talk about go home in the here and the now and heal yourself. Mm-hmm. All that the insight continue to come and make uh, you understand deeper the teaching and the practice. Uh, when you look at people around you, you see them as ambassadors <laughs> and not individuals. You have respect. You know that they are you. The person who is coming, uh, you know that he is you. You are him. And when when you touch the earth, you touch as a lineage as a community and not as an individual. Uh, There are people who are pleasant and there are people who are less pleasant, uh, less uh, pleasant. But your practice is equanimity. You try to love them equally. Mm, You are trying, you, well, even if if, uh, uh, they are less pleasant, uh, then you try to to give you more, a little bit more of your time so that you can practice equanimity better. So you make progress every day. And if uh, he has, um, this body has 100 years more to live, he will continue the practice like that, to learn how to love better, to understand better. There's no, uh, no limit of the practice. And I think uh, that is true with uh, the human race. We can continue to learn generation after generations. And um, I think it's time for us to to begin to learn um, <laughs> how to love <laughs> in the non-discriminative way. Because um, we are intelligent enough. <laughs> But we are not loving enough as a, as a race, as a species. So my last question. Mm. Um, when you look out in the world, there's an, at the moment there's an enormous <clears throat> amount of suffering. And um, you yourself have said, you know, in a hundred years there might not even be, if, if climate change runs away, there might not even be a human race left. And, and most of the species may have died out. And I'm just wondering how you're able to look out of the world, in the world, with peace, when you see so much, there's wars everywhere, things are not becoming more peaceful, there's, there's a worry there's going to be more, more conflict, and, and if climate change gets much worse, there'll be terrible, terrible suffering. You know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people will suffer and, I, and I'm just wondering, how, how do you maintain your own sense of peace when you <laughs> see all that going on around you? I think uh, our perception of time may help. 
because for, for us it's very alarming, urgent, but for Mother Earth, if she suffers, she knows that she has the, the power to, to heal herself. If uh, needed, she will, she will take uh, 100 million years in order to heal herself. But for us, <coughs> we think that our time on Earth is only 100 years. And that is why we, we, uh, <laughs> we are impatient. But I think the collective karma, the collective ignorance of our race, collective anger, violence of our race will lead to our destruction. And we have to learn to accept that. And maybe Mother Earth will produce a great being. Sometime in the next uh, <laughs> decade, so that uh, that person will tell us what to do in order to avoid this uh, catastrophe. We don't know. We cannot predict. Because Mother Earth is very talented. She has produced uh, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, great beings. So taking refuge in Mother Earth and uh, surrender to her and uh, ask her to, to heal us, to help us. Or maybe our practice. And we have to, to accept that uh, the worst can happen, that most of us uh, will die as a species and many other species will die also. And Mother Earth will be capable after maybe a few uh, million years uh, bring us out again. And this time, <laughs> wiser. <laughs> yeah, very intelligent. But you have to learn how to how to love better. First of all, to love Mother Earth. Because uh, <clears throat> when you practice mindfulness, and when you look at uh, the sun during your walking meditation, mindfulness of uh, body in the body help you to see that uh, the sun is in you. Without the sun, there is no life at all. And suddenly, you get in touch with the sun in a different way. You see the relationship between you and the sun uh, change. Your son is embracing you as a father. And that is the power of mindfulness. Bring insight. Before you see the sun is something very far away, very uh, uh, not having too much connection. But in fact, the connection is very, very deep. You are a child of the sun. You come from the sun. My nephew and niece, a grandchild of the sun. And that is uh, something true with the earth. And so you walk in such a way that you see that your relationship with the earth is so deep and the earth is in you. And this is not something very difficult. It's much less 
this golden philosophy. And you, you can walk like that and you, you see the relationship between you and Mother Earth change drastically. Because your mother is also the son of Mother Earth, a daughter of Mother Earth. And uh, that, that insight, that feeling can come easily. And if you can feel that Mother Earth is in you, you are Mother Earth. And then you, you are not longer afraid of dying, because the Earth is not dying. Uh, you might be reproduced in a better form, in a more beautiful form. It's like a, a wave, a wave appears and disappear and appear again, why a wave should be able to die. So that kind of insight can come when you have a good relationship. And I don't think that you need to be a philosopher in order to feel that way. Every one of us can, can see the connection. So good education can help us. Uh, feel the connection between us and the sun and uh, and other living beings. And uh, I can feel uh, a lot of peace and happiness also by, <coughs> by having that kind of relationship. <laughs> I think when your relationship with the earth uh, improves, your relationship with your partner also improve naturally. With your brother, your sister improve naturally. So, the next retreat for school teachers, we should tell them <laughs> to to help the children to learn that to have that kind of relationship. Because loneliness is a ill-being of our time. <clears throat> the children feel lonely because uh, their parents feel lonely. And then they feel disconnected from yeah, disconnected. everything around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of Dharma sharing, Dharma discussion <laughs> we should have in our family, in the classroom. And, uh, and that education, education is, uh, is uh, pleasant. And the, the school teachers uh, should teach their, uh, the young people in that way, just sharing, educate them to love, to be connected. I want to be friends on your on Facebook. There's <laughs> 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 a need to connect. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. You would not be with us for Christmas? No, we leave on Friday. But I just to say, we, we feel so nourished here. I mean, it's um, just such happiness to be here. And uh, it's, it's, 
everything you teach, everything you say, is what I feel. You know, it's coming Wonderful. back to Wonderful. myself, coming yeah. back to ourselves, yeah. feeling nourished, yeah. coming back to a very, very simple life, and, and realizing that's, mm. that's actually where I'm happiest, is when things are at their most simple. Mm. Mm. So, so you, you, you get that, the lamp transmission. <laughs> you go home and I give the light to other people. Yes, I, I will no longer build a stupa to you. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you. all your time. Really, it's a great blessing. Thank you. Have some more tea, hot tea. Dear listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, You can find all the previous episodes of this podcast on the Plum Village app and also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe to The Way Out Is In. And it would be lovely if you feel able to leave a review um, to help others discover us and to also uh, gain from listening. The podcast is co-produced by Global Optimism and the Plum Village app with support from the Thich Nhat Hanh Foundation. If you feel inspired to support the podcast as well as the international Plum Village community moving forward, please visit our website www.tnhf.org. donate Thank you so much and see you next time. Oh.